Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and business initiatives that help your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for the legal, insurance, and law enforcement industries. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, a New England-based business serving the legal community nationwide since 1966. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hey, welcome to the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening in today. My name is Jared Correa, and I'm the Law Practice Management Advisor with Massachusetts Low Map, providing free and confidential uh, law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on my organization, you can check out www.masslowmap.org. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Katuno Court Reporting Services. To find out more about Katuno services, visit www.katuno.org. Dot cc. Now, given the previous uh, coverage we've done here at, uh, at the uh, Legal Toolkit, you might think that we're all about data privacy. Data privacy is certainly an important issue, especially given that March 1st was the date that the regulations actually came into effect. So if you're panicked, look at our prior shows. But um, moving forward, we're going to be looking towards some more diverse range of subjects, moving away from data privacy to provide you really a number of essential tools to add to your legal toolkit so that best practices will be more like the practices that you employ within your own office. And today we're going to start out with a discussion of IOLTA accounting. This will be part one of IOLTA accounting. We'll do a little bit more on IOLTA in our next show. And uh, we're very fortunate today to be joined by a couple of stellar guests First of all, we have with us uh, Terrence Pritchard. He's an assistant bar counsel in the office of bar counsel. Attorney Pritchard's practice involves handling the investigation and prosecution of trust account cases that come into his office, including all cases initiated by the dishonored check notification requirement of Massachusetts Rule of Professional Conduct, Rule 1.15. Terry, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, our other guest is Jim Bolin. Uh, he's a partner with the law firm of Brecker, Weiner, Simmons, Fox, and Bolin, LLP. And Jim, your name is last on that list there. You might want to talk to somebody about that. At least it's there. <laughs> that is true. And uh, that firm is located in Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, Attorney Bolin represents lawyers and law firms and board of bar overseers and malpractice matters, partnership breakups, departures, and law firm litigation. He also provides counsel to local, national, and transnational lawyers and law firms on risk management, law firm audits, malpractice prevention, and professional responsibility, practice, and ethics matters. Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, Jim Bolin. Thanks, Judd. Thanks, Terry. And uh, Jim and Terry now bring two very different perspectives to bear. Uh, Terry works for the Board of Bar Overseers Office of Bar Council, which investigates and prosecutes attorneys for ethical violations in Massachusetts. And uh, Jim represents those attorneys before the BBL. So we should get some lively discussion here today. And let's break in uh, initially with a very basic question. Um, for most of the attorneys uh, that we talk to here at LOMAP, uh, IOLTA usually stands for, uh, so what in the hell do I have to do with client funds again? So let's begin very basically and say, uh, what is IOLTA accounting and what is the purpose of doing IOLTA accounting? Well, an IOLTA account by definition is a, a pooled trust account and uh, it allows you to put money for different client matters into the same trust account. Uh, however, the rules specifically require that you need to keep track of each client's funds separately within the account. So IOLTA accounting really comes down to keeping track of all of the different clients' funds within your pooled trust account. 
And the example that I give is if you walked into a bank and asked what your balance was, you would fully expect the bank was able to tell you. And it's the same principle. You're holding someone else's funds. Let me just add a piece to that. Uh, There's also instances where you may be holding third parties' funds. And those could come up either as separate IOLTA accounts or separate accounts. You could be holding money back from a closing. You could be holding money in escrow for some particular purpose. So any property that you're holding, which is your clients or a third party in one pooled account, has got to follow the IOLTA rules. And, and, the, and the IOLTA accounting uh, interest goes to charitable purposes, right, guys? Yes. Yes. All right. Um, well, uh, now that we have a basic uh, uh, grounding to work with here, let's move on to more specific questions. Everybody's heard of the requirement for three-way reconciliations for IOLTA accounts. What do you do? With respect to three-way reconciliations, how and how often should you do it? And uh, feel free, Jim, you want to start on this one? Oh, okay. Uh, Terry's going to clean that up when I screw it up. Um, three-way <laughs> reconciliation is really a little bit of a misnomer, but basically you have to have, as you would at home, you have to have a check register in an account that's labeled an IOLTA account. So it's very clearly labeled, very clearly set up. That check register has to have a running balance on it, which is the total of all of the individual client registers, individual client ledgers, individual client accounts, plus an office account. So if you've got 10 active client matters, you should have 11 sub-accounts. One for the office, in which you keep a couple hundred to five hundred dollars in it for charges or fees that may come up, and one for each of the individual matters that you're handling, no matter how small, no matter how large. You're going to be reconciling that check register and its balance against the bank statements, and the bank statements are going to be it each. And I, I, even though the rule says 60 days, I really think, in particularly in an active practice, that these ought to be reconciled monthly. You're going to be reconciling the adjusted bank statement balance, which is the end balance plus outstanding deposits, less outstanding checks, against the check register against each of the client sub-accounts. So if you take in $10,000 for client A and you spend $9,000, your sub-account surely better have $1,000 left over for client A. And doing this on a regular basis is the only way to make sure that you haven't inadvertently drawn over client A's money or the entire account. Well, thanks, Jim. Terry, you uh, you going to clean that up now or add to it? I'll add to it a little bit. Um... First of all, I think that the reconciliation is the most important part of the rule because everybody makes mistakes. Uh, Attorneys make mistakes. Even the bank makes mistakes. And the purpose of the reconciliation is to catch those mistakes quickly so they can be corrected easier. Um, So I'd like to say that I think it's the most important part of the rule. Um, As far as the adjusted bank statement balance portion of the reconciliation goes, I think that's where I see the most issues. And the reason that you need to adjust the bank statement balance is because the rule requires you to keep your records contemporaneously when you do transactions. So your individual client register and your main check register are being updated every time you handle a transaction. And so you may have some outstanding transactions that haven't cleared the bank by the month-end statement. So you need to uh, subtract uh, from your register balance the uh, any outstanding deposits you've made that haven't shown on the bank statement yet and add back in any checks you've sent out that haven't cleared the bank statement yet. So uh, where we see the most problems is with the adjusted bank statement balance. But uh, 
The reason is because you're updating your registers and your ledgers as you do the transactions. So you need to, um, your bank statement balance won't take into account anything that hasn't cleared the bank yet. So that's the reason for adjusting that balance. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I'd like to add is the the office account that Jim speaks of. Um, It is your funds in the account. You're allowed to keep a, a reasonable amount of funds for bank fees and expenses in the account. You should certainly have a separate operating account for things like your phone bill and your office rent. You shouldn't be paying that for MyUlta. But any bank-related expenses of maintaining the Ulta account is what you should have your own funds in that for. There's a really good set of materials on the uh, Office of Bar Council BBO website. Uh, it's called, one of them is the IELTA committee booklet, and the other is maintaining a lawyer trust accounts using Quicken. And if you go on to uh, mass.gov slash OBCBBO and look for Rule 1.15, it'll be there, and you can click on those, and they're very helpful. Um, so that's a way of using Quicken and, uh, for one way of managing the accounts. The other two places where issues come up, we'll talk more about this in a minute, are wire transfers and intra-account transfers. Uh, that's where a lot of folks get hung up, particularly real estate lawyers. Yeah, thanks, Jim. That, that's some good clarification and also some good resources to point out as well. Um, and would you guys both agree, because it sounds like you do, that one of the main points here to get across to attorneys is that you actually have to dig in and get this accounting done. Otherwise, you get too far behind. It'll probably become fairly impossible to catch up. Yeah, I, I, even though I'm supposed to be an expert in this stuff, I'm not allowed anywhere near our bank account in my office. <laughs> we We have a really good bookkeeper, and we have an accountant, and I'm I have recommended to lawyers for, you know, the the thirty plus years I've been doing defense work uh, to get an account, get a bookkeeper, and lawyers are not trained to do this stuff. And and if you're having any issues with it, do it now before it becomes a problem. So that's the major thing I could suggest: get it in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Get dug in and then and then really get a, a handle on the work. Um, so let's get into some of those other uh, issues that uh, you alluded to before, Jim. Uh, both of you guys, what do you see as some of the biggest IOLTA pitfalls that come across your respective desks? I'm going to reiterate what Terry just said. Not doing reconciliations on a regular basis. The, the hell with the 60 days. I do it every 30 because the longer it goes, the worse it gets. I have way too many lawyer clients whose accounts have never been reconciled. Oh, they're getting done eventually, and Terry has no idea who they are. Mm. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's a real problem, particularly real estate lawyers and some estate lawyers. That's the first thing, I think, critically. Um, And I agree that I think that's the most important thing because, um, for example, if you're a real estate attorney and the lender wires funds to the wrong account, uh, I've seen cases where it's been years before that problem has surfaced. And if you catch it within 60 days, or I agree, I recommend at least every month, uh, it's much easier to find out what account that wire went to uh, versus going back through two or three years' worth of records. Uh, so I absolutely agree that the regular reconciliation is the biggest issue. And aside from staying on top of things, what other issues do attorneys have, perhaps those who stay on top of things? What difficulties do they come across? Not understanding what's supposed to be in an IOLTA account is a, is a principal issue. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's supposed to be client funds and third-party funds either in a small amount or held for a reasonably short period of time. Your own fees, once they're earned, have got to be taken out. If you've got a large amount of money, it needs to go into a separate account. If you're representing a single bank, 
You don't even need an IELTS account. You can do a conveyancing account where the interest goes to just to that bank. Paying attention to what this account really means, starting from the beginning and understanding it going forward, is really critical. Yeah, and uh, so now let's turn the page a little bit, and let's talk about, aside from IELTA pitfalls that you've seen, what are some of the best IELTA practices that either you recommend or that you've seen attorneys performing in their own accounting? First and foremost is, again, to reconcile at least monthly. Uh, That's a great practice. Um, Secondly, um, having a bookkeeper, having an accountant is very helpful. Um, I think that, um, you know, depending on how much business uh, someone does, and hopefully um, someone has a lot of business, uh, it's a lot of accounting records just to stay on top of. So uh, keeping on top of things um, is very important. And having a, a knowledgeable bookkeeper is a very valuable asset. Uh, I would also recommend, even if you do have a bookkeeper and accountant, um, to know the rules and to uh, check the work periodically on your own because ultimately you are responsible. But uh, I think the most important thing is to stay on top of the account. Let me give you two examples of where things can go awry and therefore how to manage it as a best practice. Uh, I was involved in a case which took place over long period of time where a very trusted office manager switched the colors of the checks. Classically, you have an IOLTA account, let's say, for example, is blue checks, and your office account is green checks. Mm-hmm. She ordered checks of the green account in blue and the blue account in green so that she could steal money and nobody would know. And it's very easy to get caught in something like that. So the reason, one of the things you want to set up is a circumstance where the person who writes the checks cannot sign them so that there's an automatic internal check. Mm-hmm. You want to have adequate personnel. You want to make sure that the folks in your office know where they are. You want to have somebody looking through the checks that are sitting on the shelf to make sure somebody hasn't pulled from the bottom so you won't see that check for six months. You want to lock those checks away. You want to segregate duties so that everybody has an assigned task and that there's an internal check on it. You want to make sure that transactions are appropriately authorized and that they're authorized either by a person with signing authority or a person by uh, oversight authority. You want to make sure that your documentation and records are clear. Don't be taking cash out of uh, an IOLTA account. Don't have an ATM card on your IOLTA account. They shouldn't be allowed, and most banks will refuse them. And those kind of physical controls... If you're going into escrows or holdbacks, that's a, that's a parallel issue, and those need to be separately dealt with. I don't, I don't agree with the philosophy that escrow funds should be kept in an IOLTA account because those are held for a particular purpose. I think those uh, should be subject to a, an escrow agreement. And if the escrow agreement, saying you're holding back from a closing to, to build a garage and you put 30000 bucks aside, you want that in a separate interest-bearing account or a non-interest-bearing account if the, that's the agreement of the parties. And you want a separate escrow agreement for every transaction. Now, you certainly can keep them in IOLTA. That just makes your life more complicated because everybody knows the instance where, you know, that fence that was supposed to be built in 1967, I wonder what happened to it. Mm-hmm. And God knows where the money is. <laughs> so those are the kinds of things we think about. Yeah, those are great practical suggestions. And uh, just 
basically speaking, having checks of separate colors for IOLTA accounting versus other accounting is a good uh, practice, um, assuming that your uh, secretary doesn't have a bent for stealing any of your money. Um, well, that's why you've got to have somebody checking it yep. and, and actually looking at it. That was one of the, that was a $2 million uh, color change. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys would recommend, I would imagine, uh, an attorney putting some of their own funds, a small amount in the IOLTA account to cover for chargebacks and stuff like that. Well, you're entitled to have a small amount of personal funds in the account because there are always um, fees related with maintaining accounts. Um, for example, ordering new checks. Uh, most banks don't charge a wire fee on an IOLTA account, but some do if you make an error giving the instructions. And if you don't have your own funds in the account, then the bank's going to withdraw funds that belong to a, a client. So, um, the rule allows for a reasonable amount of um, funds for that purpose, and you know we wouldn't question two hundred dollars or less. Uh, beyond that, you know we would ask you to justify you know, why this is a reasonable amount of personal funds in the IOLTA account. Thanks, guys. So we're rolling with a pretty good discussion here. Unfortunately, we have to take a short break, but the good thing is we get to hear from some of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about IOLTA accounting with Terry Pritcher and Jim Bolin. Katuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription have been providing innovative dictation and transcription services since 1966. Our patented technologies and compliance solutions continue to set the standard for the legal community. Find out more about how we can create your legal toolkit at katuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C or call 888-228-8646. Want to listen for CLE credit? Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the banner that says, Want CLE Credits? It'll take you right to West Legal Ed Center where you can pick your favorite Legal Talk Network podcasts. All right. Welcome back to the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by Terry Pritcher of the Office of Bar Counsel and Attorney Jim Bolin, who's a partner with the firm of Brecker, Weiner, Simons, Fox, and Bolin LLP out of Newton. So uh, we have a little bit of a shortened time frame here. So let's address some uh, quick hitter questions. Um, do you folks recommend any software programs that might help attorneys to maintain or reconcile their IOLTA accounts more easily? Well, we we wouldn't endorse any specific program, but I can tell yeah, you what I see most often are people using Quicken or QuickBooks. Uh, there are some programs that are specific to real estate attorneys. I believe Peachtree Software has a program. Uh, and most programs I see do 80 to 90% of the work for you. So they're very good programs because they eliminate uh, the need to keep separate ledgers. You can usually sort by individual client matter. Um, and if they do 80% of the work for you or 90%, that's great. Um, you just need to do that last 10 or 20% yourself. But those are the programs that we see most often. And uh, sticking with the electronic side of things, what do you see out there uh, for special considerations respecting electronic payment processing like credit cards or debit cards? And, uh, Jim, you can start on this one if you want. Sure. Uh, it's permissible to use credit cards uh, in many states, including Massachusetts, now, there's a, a, a there's a, a lot of bit of um, uh, confusion in this. Is someone once said, uh, I believe it was Bar Council, the devil's in the details. Um, 
the mechanics of accepting credit card payments is what usually causes the problems. It, it's only earned fees that could be paid by credit cards. And uh, retainers can be, can be uh, acquired by a credit card, but it has to be then moved into an IOLTA account, of, uh, from a, generally from a, uh, uh, an operating account, and set up in that fashion. Um, if there's a charge for it, the, the lawyer has to absorb the charge, in my opinion, uh, so that it's not coming out of the, uh, another client's fees if it gets mm. moved over to IOLTA. But uh, credit cards are generally well accepted and used in lots of, uh, lots of circumstances. And so it's on the attorney to make sure that those chargebacks are coming out of their own money versus the client fund money, it sounds like, right? Yeah, I think that's probably an internal expense, uh, overhead cost, um, okay. to permit the, uh, the client to do that. And I think the lawyer should bear the responsibility for that, unless Terry wants to suggest otherwise. But that no, would be I, my, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And we do see a lot of issues where attorneys uh, accept credit card payments directly into their trust account. And... What you absolutely cannot have is an agreement that allows the credit card company to withdraw funds directly from your IOLTA account. And where that happens is in the event of a chargeback, where a client, for some reason, is unhappy with your service or has hired someone else. They don't have to go to you anymore. They can dispute it with their credit card company. And if the credit card company has the ability to go into the IOLTA account and Possibly you've already removed the funds for that client matter. They're withdrawing another client's funds. So as a, a matter of course, you should set it up exactly the way Jim described, where you accept the payments into your operating account, your business account, transfer them to your IOLTA account. Uh, so that way the credit card company does not have the ability to go into your IOLTA account for the chargeback. What, I really agree with what Terry said. That's just absolutely critical. Yeah, th this is good advice. I mean, obviously, in 2010, you see more people, including lawyers, taking more payments on credit cards and debit cards. So it's certainly an issue that people should be looking out for. Now, I know this is a very broad question, and you can break it down to more specifics if you want, but how about large sums of money that you receive for client funds? How do you handle those? Depends what you're calling a large sum, but uh, go ahead, Terry. Uh, I would say, first of all, the, the rule of thumb is whether or not you should open a separate trust account for a client matter versus put the money in your IOLTA account. Uh, the rule of thumb is if you're going to have a large sum of money for a short period of time, you're not going to generate a lot of interest. It should go into your IOLTA account. Uh, if you're going to hold funds for a longer period of time, it should go into a, a separate trust account. If the interest earned is going to outweigh the fees and expenses of opening and maintaining account, the rule of thumb is to open an account for that client matter. If you handle a real estate closing, you may get a $500,000 wire into your account, but you're only going to hold the funds for two weeks. So that would be an appropriate use of an IOLTA account. On the other hand, if you were handling an estate matter that was being contested and you're going to have the funds you anticipate for a year, you would want the clients to get the benefit of the interest, so you would open a separate trust account for that client matter. If lawyers are using large deposits because they haven't reconciled their accounts and they're using them for a period of time for a float, then something's going to come up eventually and the house of cards is going to fall down. I think Terry's view of this is exactly correct. And in fact, the IOLTA Committee of Massachusetts sets that interest in fees versus expenses um, uh, in, in generation of funds measure as a rule of thumb 
uh, in their uh, IOLTA committee booklet. So let's talk about a bad case scenario. Say you're an attorney, you discover a discrepancy. What should you do to resolve it? What, other than calling me? Yeah, besides that. (laughs) (laughs) But that should be step number one. (laughs) How's that for a plug? <laughs> it's, that's, it's pathetic. It's, it's the shameless, <laughs> shameless commerce division. Um, the first thing you do is not stick your head in the sand. I have an ostrich on my desk to remind me. <laughs> get a bookkeeper. Get an accountant. Get a lawyer and dig into the account. Do not expect that Terry Pritcher and his colleagues at Bar Council's office are going to suddenly decide that they're going to go on vacation for the next year. It ain't going to happen. So you've got to deal with it firsthand. I agree. The, the biggest problem is to just let something go or pretend there's no problem. Um, so the biggest issue is to address it immediately. And each particular problem you know, has its own best-case solution, and I would think that a professional bookkeeper or certainly Jim Boland would know how to handle it and correct the discrepancy. Um, what I would say is, Make sure that you adequately document how you're correcting the discrepancy. Um, you know, as I said, mistakes happen. So if it's a mistake that was caught on a reconciliation report that's being done at least every 60 days, hopefully it doesn't take much to correct. Uh, the one thing I would caution people about here is if you have even an inkling that your account is short, you have a responsibility to protect client funds that are in the account. So don't continue, just keep using the account. If you think your account is short, um, you can open a new IOLTA account for new business and audit the old one and figure out what the discrepancy is. Uh, Or you can deposit personal funds into the IOLTA account, the amount that you think you're short while you audit it. Uh, There are several different possible solutions here, um, but don't just keep using the account if you have any feeling that the account is short. Um, some case law says that you're at this point intentionally misusing funds, which becomes a far bigger issue than having a small problem that you're correcting. So I would first step um, call a bookkeeper or an attorney uh, like Jim Boland to help you handle the situation. Well, and, and I'll, I'll say that uh, no money changed hands. Jim Boland has not paid for any of these plugs <laughs> at all. He's just that good. Um, so any, you guys have anything to add that we haven't covered uh, yet? Uh, Jim, feel free to take a stab at this first. I don't think that lawyers should be fearful about IOLTA accounts or handling their accounts. I, I, I know that I, I'm not very good with money in, in, in working through accounts and adding and subtracting. It's just my nature. So I have really good folks in my office, my managing partners and colleagues who really know what they're doing. That's the, you know, the reason why you hire a lawyer uh, or hire an accountant to do things you don't know is for exactly that purpose. So if you're, if you're uh, challenged by handling an account, get someone in who can help you with it. It's not that expensive. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than having, as nice as he is, having to deal with Terry Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, the way you want to go through the world. The second thing is lawyers shouldn't fear bar counsel's office in this instance. Many of these things happen because the banks screw up, because money got wired into the wrong account, and it's easily fixed, easily explainable. Terry is remarkably good to deal with, very straightforward, and very honest. And in fact, it's a, it's a big weight off people's shoulders when they realize that the world hasn't ended and they can fix it. Mm-hmm. So don't let it go down the drain. Deal with it right away. Get the right people in to help you, and it, it's nothing to be feared at that point. Now, anything to add, Terry, on your part? 
I would add two things. Uh, first, I can't stress enough the regular reconciliation, and that's because everyone makes mistakes, including banks. Um, so the purpose is to identify any indiscrepancy and correct it as soon as possible. Um, so that's always the most important thing to me. Uh, secondly is last year, I believe, I received 198 dishonored check notifications in our office. The overwhelming majority of those uh, were not discipline cases. Um, they were simple errors, minor accounting practices that could be uh, corrected without a problem. Um, so a letter from our office shouldn't be viewed immediately as uh, something that's a big problem. Um, we do get a lot of I shouldn't say a lot. We There are a lot of attorneys in the state. We have a good amount of dishonored check notifications that are very minor issues that we um, just look to correct. So I would reiterate, don't be fearful of our office if there's a minor issue. And it, usually it uh, is something that's pretty simple to correct. Yeah, Terry's message is right, folks. And, and the real thing to do is get it in there and fix problems before they come above the radar line. 198 complaints out of 40,000 active lawyers is a very small percentage, but I'll tell you that there are a lot more lawyers out there whose accounts are screwed up and haven't addressed it. So get in there and fix them now before they have to talk to Terry. Yeah, thank you both very much. And, uh, you know, I, I think if, if listening to this podcast, anyone can take one thing away. I think it's you want to jump in on your IL to reconciliation, start doing them and just pay attention to it. Um, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Legal Toolkit. Remember that you can check out all of Legal Talk shows on the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Uh, Two very special thanks to our guests today. You've been phenomenal. Um, Terry, if listeners want to get more information about you and your organization, where can they find that? Well, um, first of all, our main office number is 617-728-8750. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m., uh, there is an uh, assistant bar counsel on staff to answer any ethics-related question that an attorney may have. Uh, also... Uh, our website, which Jim alluded to earlier, um, www.mass.gov slash OBCBBO. And the first Thursday of every month, uh, we do a trust account training class uh, at the um, Boston Bar Association, 16 Beacon Street. Uh, that information is uh, available on our website. Thank you for having me today. Oh, no, thanks for appearing. Great. And that those are excellent resources that attorneys should really take advantage of as they are not afraid of your organization, but utilizing the resources that you have. Um, Jim, how about if somebody wants to contact you, what should they do? Well, thank you, Jared and Terry. Um, it's Jim Bowen. My phone number is 617-614-1500 or uh, by email, jboan at legalpro.com. I, I do not have a Twitter following. Um, so you can avoid that. Uh, and having been a former assistant bar counsel many years ago, uh, Terry's correct. Calling there, the helpline uh, during the week is a very good resource. And thank you both very much. It's nice of you to have me. That's, it's not, not everybody has to be on Twitter. Well, uh, thanks to both our guests and a big thank you to our sponsor, Katuno Court Reporting. If you want more information about Katuno Court Reporting, visit www.katuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. Join us next time on Legal Toolkit when we'll cover IOLTA Part 2. This time, it's personal.
Thanks for listening to the Legal Toolkit, brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, right here on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.